Welcome to Let's Play Business. Welcome everyone, welcome to Let's Play Business, the show that explores how games can make people better at business and business better for people. Welcome to the fourth episode of the show. So Zuki, good to see you again, how are you doing? Uh, so yeah, Ben, it's good to see you too. Before we jump in, I think we need to talk about the theme tune. We've been getting a lot of feedback. Some people think the theme tune is too long. Other people think the theme tune is really too long. Um, what do you think? It's difficult because for me it's such a, a major personality component of the podcast. But it's all about the listener, you know, you listener, it's all about you, so... Obviously, we'll, we'll do our best to take in those considerations. I mean, what you know, what are your thoughts on that, Zuki? Yeah, I mean, I know I'm a, I'm a marketing professional at heart. So, you know, I've, I've been trained to listen to the feedback that we get from our people. Um, but I'm also a businessman. And you know what, Ben? We paid for this theme tune. I think we need to use the theme tune. In fact, I think we should play the theme tune again. Let's roll the theme tune. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. Let's get into the podcast. <laughs> anyway, Zuki, tell me what you've been up to, what you've been business in, what you've been playing. Um, so, business. We are obviously in the wonderful world of lockdown. Uh, we've actually planned a, a company murdery mystery evening uh, coming up this week, which is going to be fun. There's nothing like a bit of, you know, planned deceit to kind of build some trust in the team. A nice bit of casual lying for fun will really sort of like help, help us gel together and build those trust networks. Um, so we've got that on the table for business and um, what I've been doing for fun, I've recently cracked out a lovely game called Rimworld. Great game. If anyone hasn't played it and you enjoy like plan or city management game where you just really get stressed out the whole time, I'd really recommend it. What about you, Ben? Firstly, before I let you know what's going on with me, my first you know, point of concern is you've just spoke about a murder mystery evening that you're having. Whereas the inquiry of alternate experiences, team building, bread and butter, it's one of our service areas. Didn't didn't hear a peep from you. Didn't hear a peep. Not an email. <laughs> Times are tight. We're lowballing here. We're 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 doing it the old DIY way. <laughs> your 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 products, man. They are beyond premium. I'd go into the realm of saying they are like premium plus. Are we talking about the quality or the cost here? I'm talking about the quality, of course, man. Excellent value. <laughs> oh, that's, that's reassuring. Anyway, gaming and businessing. What have I been up to? So business front. Uh, did something very exciting uh, recently. So got sick of people turning up late for the team meeting. So my colleague suggested that we turn the team meeting into a game. I was totally down for that because, you know, we're a gamification company. Practice what we preach. But the first game is like how early or late you turn up to the team meeting. So if you turn up on time, you get 20 points. If you turn up one to three minutes late, you get five points. If you turn up four to five minutes late, you get, it's like minus 10 points. And then you get like minus 20 points if you're beyond five minutes late. So I'm a big fan of that one. And it's definitely seen an uptick in improved attendance. So I'm, I'm very on board with that game. I like this. Yeah, yeah. Very, very easy, very simple. And then the second bit, which for the icebreaker, uh, everyone gets to vote on like their favorite icebreaker answer. And this is like a running thing. And then we need to figure out what the prize is and, and set some kind of end date on this. But you know, it, it's up and running and that's what matters. 
I like it. It's half thought through. It's gamified. It solves a problem. This, Ben, I'm surprised that you didn't hit me up and ask me for a suggestion through Game My Problem. Like, well, what, what are you playing at? <laughs> anyway, that's enough about us, Zuki. I think it's time that we welcomed our, our fabulous guest. Uh, this week is, of course, Susanna Lawson. Susanna, hello. How are you doing? Hi, both. I'm very well, thank you. Lovely to listen to your chat there. Very interesting. Cutting edge discussion there. Really fascinating lives we lead. Yeah, total nerds. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> how's um, how's lockdown been for you, Susanna? How's the last year been? Yeah, it's been it's been a fascinating roller coaster of a ride. I think. Yeah, the highs have been really high. The lows have been low. It's it's been like a game, hasn't it? Uh, each roll of the dice. Each time Boris comes on, what role what roles are going to give us this time, and which ways are going to pivot? <laughs> that famous word. It's been good overall for business. We've been very very fortunate. It's been a good year for for one file. So I definitely cannot complain with that. With the announcements, it feels a bit like when you're playing Monopoly and you get that card, and it's like uh, go straight to lockdown. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Do not see any friends. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And then at the moment, obviously, with the sun shining, like you said today, feels like we're, yeah, heading to get out of jail free, hopefully. So fingers crossed. Uh, so, Susanna, would you like to tell uh, our listener what it is you do? Tell us about OneFile. Tell, tell us who you are. Okay, so yeah, I'm Susanna Lawson. I'm CEO and co founder of OneFile. OneFile is an edtech platform, an educational technology platform that's uh, primarily focused on the post-16 vocational training. So you might have heard of apprenticeships, that's like a ding word, a buzzword at the moment with the government. And we uh, sell to customers such as further education colleges, private training providers, universities and employers that deliver their own apprenticeships. So people like Tony and Guy for example, have their own apprenticeship programs. And if I remember correctly, it was the epitome of, of every kind of classic tech startup story, like, what was it? Not basement or attic or, you know, working from the attic or bedroom type get it off the ground vibe. Uh, remind me exactly what that was. Yeah, so basically we set up yeah, in our back bedroom in Burnage in Manchester. Myself and my boyfriend, now husband, I was working in the apprenticeship sector, saw a huge issue with the quality and efficiency of delivering apprenticeships. Then my partner was uh, the techie, delivering websites and databases, and we just decided a bit naively to put the skills together. And off we went, no idea how we were gonna get the product to market, just knew that we could build a fantastic product and hit the road. Off we went 16 years ago. <laughs> and obviously one file has been, you know, your career highlight. You're now about to embark on your your second biggest career highlight, which is of course featuring on this podcast, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how excited are you to be here on this now infamous podcast? Well, you know, we did win a Queen's Award for Innovation and, you know, that has to be an absolute highlight. But this compared to that, yeah, just blows it out of the water, Ben. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, this is the biggest honour ever. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so the way this is going to work, we're going to have three rounds or I say three levels. First level, Game of the Decade. We're going to take our favourite game of the decade and find out what it taught us about business. Level two, Ding goes the interview. We'll invite a guest on, so Susanna in this instance, ask them about their business journey and how games may have helped them on the way. And then final level, a Game My Problem. We'll have 60 seconds to come up with a game that will help solve one of your business problems. So I think it's time for the first round. Level one, Game of the Decade. Right, listener, it is time for Game of the Decade, our first round. And Zuki, I believe it is your turn to announce this month's Game of the Decade. What's it going to be? 
Okay, so in keeping uh, with the theme of this game of the decade, I want you guys to try and guess based on a couple of clues that I'm going to give you. Uh, does that sound okay? Yep. Okay. So the first clue is that you've probably gathered that this game is a guessing game, but it isn't just any old guessing game. It's in fact the epitome of guessing games. And it's also a game where when you think about it and when you play it properly, you realize that it's less about good guessing and more about good communication, which is the lesson that we're going to take from this game. And your second clue is that this is a game where you actually tell your teammates everything they need to know in order to earn a point. But the rules state you can't actually tell them anything at all. Do you have any idea what game I'm on about? Is it a game that you would play at Christmas with the family. It absolutely is a game you play at Christmas. Is it charades, charades, however people pronounce it? It is charades, charades, uh, whatever the pronunciation is. I think it's derived from French actually, so I'm gonna go with charades. Charades is an absolute classic. For anyone who isn't familiar with it, then yes, firstly, your Christmases must be absolutely terrible. Uh, and secondly, I'll just give you a very quick load on how charades works. So you play the game in teams, and one person in the team is given a word or a phrase. It could be a movie, a book, a song title, anything like that. And then that person has to act it out without making any sound, and the rest of the team has to guess the word or the phrase, so you're not allowed to speak. The reason that this is such a great game, and the lesson that it teaches us for business, is that it forces you to communicate, not just in the way that's best for you, but in the way that's best for your audience. So to be successful, you really have to put yourself in the shoes of the people watching you, and then communicate in a way that they will understand, and not just in a way that seems easy to you. And this, of course, is something that we've seen in business quite a lot. Like we're all no doubt familiar with the super important finance presentation that just sort of puts you to sleep or the client who decides to deliver some really bad news in a casual email at 5 p.m. on a Friday. Or, of course, the boss who loses their temper in a meeting and alienates everyone in the room in the process. All these people are, of course, communicating, but they're not really being understood. And that approach definitely won't get them very far in a game of charades. So that is why it's our game of the decade. It's a great shout of a game and interesting on the communication point, what I find particularly interesting whenever I play charades is so you have that initial bout of communication where, you know, they have their first go, three words, da da da, and, and then they start doing whatever they're doing, gesturing. And I find that one of the interesting moments is once they've been doing that for a while, but it's not coming across, they realise they need to like switch tactic or change what they're doing or something like that. I find that a really interesting like inflection point. A lot of the time people just then get super flustered and rather than get better at communication, they often get even worse. And I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've definitely seen that in meetings and, and whatever else where they get flustered and they just get worse and worse. Definitely, I think that's a, there's a certain amount of clear headedness that you need in order to be good at charades. And I think that it's the same with like when you're delivering a presentation or even just like speaking to someone and trying to like resolve a conflict or get to the heart of an issue or something. Uh, it's definitely an interesting inflection point. Yeah, I don't often see that inflection point though. What I see is the same person doing the same mimic or mime again, and then nobody gets it. So they do it again a little bit more exaggerated and then they do it again really angrily. And I suppose it goes back to sort of that Einstein quote that the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different response. And you know, it's the same in business. You can keep trying to do the same thing, but if the outcome isn't increasing profitability or it's not increasing staff engagement or whatever it is, but you just keep trying the same old things over and over, you get more frustrated about it and nothing's changing. So like you said, everybody needs that inflection point, but you need to stay calm in that inflection point, definitely. Otherwise it just goes uh, goes to pot. There's an interesting sort of language that comes with charades. 
So there's obviously like the, the signals that people have where, you know, you can signal that there's a shorthand for a book or you've got like another signal which is shorthand for a film, etc. So you've got these things which are kind of like an integral sort of part of the game that everyone kind of needs to universally understand, which makes the game a lot easier. And I think that there's some similarities with this and a lot of jargon that gets kind of used in business. I've sat in several meetings in my time or presentations where this jargon has been used and this lingo has been used, but it hasn't been explained and it's being used for the wrong people. Often in the world of business, people get so used to using uh, abbreviations and jargon and various bits of lingo here and there. They kind of go into autopilot mode and they forget that they need to adjust their language when speaking to people who aren't familiar with that. Yeah, definitely, because actually you might play charades with like your family, for example, and you've played it several times and you get used to like the way people play it. And then you go and play it, I don't know, with your partner's family or something like that. And you apply the same way you behave in in both versions, but all of a sudden no one gets any of your answers. Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. It's the same thing of taking into account you're communicating, thinking in the mindset of the people you're communicating to rather than just sort of doing your thing and hoping for the best. <laughs> Have you got any infamous meetings you can think of, Suzanne, or anything like that? Maybe even where someone's communicated exceptionally well, you know, good game of charades, or the polar opposite, someone's communicated exceptionally badly and clearly been thinking about themselves, if that makes sense, in the communication, rather than the audience that's receiving it? Yeah, I mean, just this week we've uh, inducted two new people to the business and at the end of it I said, oh, you know, what have you learned? And they said, oh my goodness, I've got two sides of A4s of abbreviations that, you know, that I need to go away and just figure out. And I suppose people have communicated well, it's when they've really thought about who, who, like you just said, who the audience is. Is it somebody that understands what you're saying? Is it somebody that understands the jargon if you know that then you can adapt the presentation to them but otherwise yeah you, you're just stuck there you think you've said it you think they've understood it and they've walked out the room without a clue level two ding goes the interview okay listener it is time for our, our main round which is of course ding goes the interview quick reminder on how it works we're going to be asking Susanna a number of questions and every time Susanna says something particularly insightful, or we feel is particularly insightful, we will award a ding. And at the end of the interview, we'll tally up how many dings uh, Susanna's got and she'll go on our leaderboard. So, question number one, Susanna. Question number one, it's gotta be, of course, what is your favorite ever game and why? So, my favorite ever game is, being half Chinese, was Mahjong growing up. For those people that don't know, Mahjong is a Chinese game. Uh, instead of having cards, you have weighted tiles and, you know, obviously living with my parents and after an evening meal, uh, they'd crack out the Mahjong table. Or at Chinese weddings, there'd be about 20, 30 Mahjong tables and people around the edge of the wedding doing that instead of having a dance. If you've ever heard a Mahjong table, the clack, 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 it's really loud. It's really quite deafening, the noise of the tiles. And it's quite a comforting noise for me because uh, as I grew up, so basically you have suits like you would in card so bamboo circles numbers and it would be all about getting sets so three of the same or a run so maybe two three four and then depending on the quality of that hand um, you get a score so you might win two points or you might win up to 32 or 64 points if you've got a really quality round i love the idea of rocking up to a wedding and there being like you know 20 odd mahjong tables scattered like i genuinely do i would love to go to a wedding and it should be basically full of like board games or chess or checkers or but like anything like that. That would be my dream to be honest. That would be my perfect wedding. I just sit and play that. But also I love the description of like you say, like the sound it makes. I feel like I can really imagine like the atmosphere that that creates, like just the kind of setting that's 
I think little tricks like that in games are like so effective where it creates this kind of socialness. You know, you hear all these sounds going around, you know everyone's playing it, it just creates this like unity. Hey Ben, what, what's, what, what's happening in August this year? Oh, yeah, okay, well, yeah, true. Okay, <laughs> well, you've caught me out there. Okay, that's problematic. Ben, Ben's getting married in August. <laughs> you've, you've caught me out there. I may now have to go and break the news to Sophie that uh, we need to make way for 20 Mahjong tables. Anyway, so tell us, you talk about the skills it, it taught you in, in business. Uh, what, what kind of skills has it taught you? So, obviously, like cards, when you first open up your hand and you can see the tiles that you've got in front of you, it was almost like a SWOT analysis. So you'd look at your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities and your threats. So your strengths would be, you know, what does my hand look like do I have the same do I have a lot of bamboos for example because if I have a lot of bamboos then that will if I can finish it on a strong bamboo round then my score will be higher so I said earlier you might have two points at the end if you've got a really weak round but you could end up with 64 points with a really strong round so you know what strengths have I got in my hand and how am I going to play my hand your weaknesses obviously you'd look for your gaps so if I don't have an obvious suit that I'm going to look strongly at, what, what am I going to do? Because it's going to be much harder because if my competitor is playing strongly, then I'm going to have a really weak round here. So is it better for me as the opportunity in a SWOT analysis, is it better for me to pay a weak round but win than let my competitor win a really strong? Is it better for me to have two than my competitor have 64? Um, and then obviously then you look at your threats. So when you're playing Mahjong, there's only four of each tile. So if your competitor it starts throwing them out and you can't pick it up for whatever reason because you're not in a position to pick it up and there's already three on the table or two on the table, your chances of picking it up are becoming less and less as the game goes on. That's a threat to you. So therefore you might have to pivot and do an emerging strategy and change your tactic partway through, but you have to be aware of that, of, of what your competitors are doing. So that really related to me about being aware, like in business, about understanding what your own strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what the opportunities are you to play, and then what the threats are to you. Uh, I actually met you, Ben, in Berlin, in your old life, uh, when you used to go on jollies all the time in your old job. I took that literally. I can't wait for that to get broadcast. <laughs> um, and you took me to Berlin as part of a business programme. And whilst, whilst I was in Berlin with you, Ben, I learned a term called disagree and commit, which I'd never heard of before. And that's a term that a sort of Intel and Amazon do. And it basically means when you're in a room and you're trying to make a business decision, you all have the opportunity to, to disagree whilst you're in the room and you will have your conversations, talk about the pros and cons, but then you all vote on the outcome, and whatever the vote goes, whichever way it goes, even if it isn't your idea, you all 100% commit to that. And that was the thing with Mahjong, you have to have a choice at the beginning. As I said earlier, you could play a cheap round, which they used to call a chicken round, and if you actually finish with a chicken round, where it's lots of bamboos, circles, you know, lots of different types of cards as opposed to a full suit, Everybody around the table would go like, bah, 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 and they start telling you you've played a chicken round. But that was, you know, you have to commit to that almost at the beginning. Am I going to play a cheap round or am I going to go for it? And am I going to go hard and I want all bamboo? And I will wait and wait and wait, sometimes until the dying death, until all the tiles have gone, until you finally get your bamboo. So again, it's that disagree and commit. You make a decision and you 100% have to be behind your decision and you have to play hard on whatever that decision is. And then finally, I think um, about weighing up the risks. So again, going back to that cheap round, the two-pointer round, you're going to need high volume. You're just going to have to win lots and lots and lots of hands. So again, it is that decision in business. Do you, is it a high volume business? Is it a numbers game where you need more and more and more sales because you're getting less revenue for your sales? Or is it that you're going to go for less sales but get more for those sales? 
and it's going to be it might be harder work it might be a longer lead time or whatever that looks like but it's worth it in the end because you only need five sales instead of 500 sales and i think that's a lesson that, that taught me as well that's really interesting because i was just about to ask about like that scoring system that is a huge range like from 2 to 64 that is a massive difference in the score you can get that must hugely affect the way you play ultimately like what strategy you're going to go for because it is a very different ball game playing a strategy where you're going to go for you know up to 64 points versus you know hammering out some some really low scores the game strategy will be completely different and i think as you say like within business exactly the same to polar like you can't do both and i think yeah absolutely and you might have a strategy at the beginning where you're going to go for the high 64 pointer but then like i say your competitors are slowly throwing out the bamboos that you need and you can't pick them up at that point because your your hand isn't quite ready for it and that's why it's so important to have an emergent strategy as well. Don't just stick to the plan doggedly. I mean, look at this year with COVID. If you'd stuck to your plan doggedly, regardless, you'd probably be dead in the water by now. So many businesses I know have had to pivot, that word again, during this year and change the strategy that they've made at the beginning in order to survive. And that's something that we've touched on before on this very podcast, uh, where we've talked about that balance between those two ways of thinking and ensuring that you always have that long-term plan and you know what your game plan is and what you're working towards and what your strategy is, I suppose but having the flexibility and the wisdom to know when to change and when to spot when it's not working. It's a delicate balance, but it seems to be that, you know, if you need that in business, you also need that in Mahjong. Absolutely. If you want to be a winner. Touching on you, just what you were just saying a moment ago, Ben, about the psychology of the range of points. Just thinking about how that psychology could be applied in games in business to sort of solve business problems. You mentioned at the beginning of this that the game that you'd set up with the meetings, you could get 20 points if you were on time. You only get five if you're a few minutes late. So if you want to win the prize at the end of this, you're way, way, way better off just being consistently a couple of minutes early and always being on time rather than go being consistently a minute late and just hoping that people, you know, every now and again, lose 25 points or lose some points down the line because they're even more late. So I think that that appreciation of that psychology and how those different points have different weights can be used in games within business in order to solve some problems as well. What you're saying there, Zuki, is basically you think that our team meeting game is just brilliantly designed i can see people playing your team meeting game at weddings in years to come that's that's what i'm hearing <laughs> right susanna question number two can you name a challenging moment in your career and tell us any skills that maybe games helped you develop to help you overcome that particular moment oh god so many challenging times <laughs> i think and if you speak to any scaling business the biggest challenge is people the right people, the right role, at the right time. I'm gonna liken it to guess who. I'm playing that a lot with my seven-year-old at the moment. If you ask the right questions at the right time, you can get to the answer that you want sooner. So in guess who, for example, there's no point starting with, does your person wear glasses? Because there's not that many people wear glasses, whereas everybody always starts to, you know, is it a boy? Because then you can wipe out 50%. So what we've done at OneFile is we've really started honing down our interview questions. So we have two interview types now. So we have a knowledge and skills interview, but then we have a values interview. It's not just good enough to get the right talent with the right skills. You also need somebody that's going to fit in with the culture. Picking the right person, guess who? You always want to get down to the final one and know 100% that that's the right one. It's never going to be 100% like guess who, but 98.9. I think that's a problem that every business wrestles with and the cost of 
getting the wrong person is so, so, so high. It's interesting that you mentioned values and that person as being the, such an important part of the process and having a specific in interview for that because uh, I think often there is just a lot of weight placed on skills. I think it's Patty McCord of Netflix talks about brilliant jerks and how they're completely intolerable. So if you have these people who are excellent engineers or excellent uh, accountants, whatever they might be, but they just cannot work with people, that's gonna create more problems than it solves probably. I heard a phrase, I hope it's okay to say, it's better to have a hole than an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> It's better to have a vacancy than to fill it with the wrong person, basically. For sure. And there was a book called Good to Great uh, by Jim Collins. And in it, he talks about how the reason things don't become great is because they become good. And the problem with something being like, okay, acceptable, is that it stops being like a big problem. So if you've got a, a, someone in a role who is say three out of five stars, if you were to give them a star rating, then that's, that's fine, it's not a one. But what that means is that uh, you're not gonna replace them with a five. So, so as long as they're in that role, they're never gonna become a five. You've gotta ask the right questions. You've gotta you know, channel your inner guess who and, and find those people up front and quickly and, and get them in and keep them because it's very expensive otherwise. Speaking of perfect questions, let's move on to question number three, Susanna. If you were, you know, a hero in a game, what kind of hero would you be? What would your traits be? And we're particularly talking about, you know, based on like your work persona. So I would want to be my game hero, a shield maiden, like Lagatha in Vikings. I absolutely adore her. So she's got a huge sense of adventure, uh, which I think I've got hugely ambitious which I think I am and I'm working at this one but she's a natural leader um, she's a very skilled warrior absolutely I'm not saying that I'm that skilled with a sword but <laughs> if I'm gonna be a superhero and she also fought side by side alongside the men and there was no questioning about whether she was weaker or not or whether she should be there with them or she should be you know on the sidelines she was right there on the front line with them uh, she got stuck in even though she was a leader she was she was right at the front she was a fantastic role model. She was very honourable and full of integrity. And integrity is one of our major values at One File. Everything we do, we want to be full of integrity. And that, I really like that about uh, her. And her motto was, a life must be lived to the fullest before it's over. And I would love to know that on my deathbed, that that's how I would be feeling, that I, you know, I've lived my life to the fullest. Besides sort of being a shield maiden, I think my superhero power though, is I would love to be fluent in any language. But, and it goes back to that charades thing, the communication, just being able to pick up and communicate with anybody in any language, I just think would be better than invisibility or super strength. Yeah, definitely. It's funny you say that. We've just been um, looking at some expansion to a few new countries, particularly with our kind of more virtual offering. We've had to make sure we've been doing little things like tweaking the language uh, for different audiences. Also, just picking up on one of the, the points you made about the character, you said that they're very much like a warrior. You know, you described them very much as a warrior. And by definition, therefore, fighting the, let's call them the competition in, in this business context. Do you liken that at all to how you are in business? Are you very aware and astute when it comes to combating the, the competition or, or, or are you kind of more removed from that? A lot of people have different thoughts on competition, but I, I, I think it's needed to keep you on your toes. You know, everybody wants to strive to be the best. So when you've got someone chomping at your heels, that keeps you on top of your form, that keeps you innovating, that keeps you striving to be the best. You know, I'm not gonna be there slitting their throats or anything. <laughs> And I actually get on. I actually get on pretty well with some of our competitors. You know, uh, one of them based in the south coast, and when he's up in Manchester, going to a gig, he'll give me a call. We'll go out for a few beers, and you know, we'll have a chat about stuff. And you, you poison his lager on the side, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still keeping an eye on him though. <laughs> 
I find it interesting what you were saying about you wish you were a natural born leader and it's something that you have to work on because just you saying that like that's the kind of sort of self-awareness that I personally really value in um, in a leader. You, you are your hero already. Ah, <laughs> oh, bless you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll go running out in furs with a sword and a shield <laughs> into, into New Moston after this. <laughs> I'll be right behind you with my bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Final question. So, have you seen any good examples of games or, or, you know, game principles being used in the real world? So, when I was in America, I was in Baltimore, I think it was, and my friend took me to a bar and they had an app. Every time they changed all the barrels, it was a real ale bar and I love my real ales, they would put the new ales on the app and then when you ordered one, the bartender would tick them off and say that you'd ordered it. When you got to 20 beers, you'd get your own pint glass. When you got to 50 beers, you'd have your t-shirt. And when you got something ridiculous, like 300 beers, you'd got a plaque on the wall. And a really bad hangover. And a very, very bad hangover. So, And it wasn't obviously on one night, it was over a year or two years and the locals got into it and then obviously people would start coming back. So I thought that was an excellent, excellent way of gamifying drinking, which I enjoy real ale which I enjoy uh, and an app which I enjoy so yeah I thought that was great and I you know I would love I would love to have a, a local around here that did something similar. Interesting as well because that kind of offer you often do have these loyalty schemes as it were effectively where for making X number of purchase you know sixth coffee free etc etc all those kind of things but often I've, I've observed that a number of them are quite ineffective but it's interesting in that instance that it has been really effective what worked about it. Yeah, I think it was just the competition between the locals mainly. So, you know, oh, I'm at 20 beers, I'm at 30 beers, I'm at 40 beers. So, But also, I always go for the same drinks. I always have the same beer, I always have the same meal. If I'm, I, I hate myself for it. Whereas this way, it's encouraging you to try different things because it wasn't that you had four of the same drink, it had to be a different beer each time. It increased that diversity and actually there's always going to be something nicer out there, isn't there? It's really interesting as well that the, the the biggest kind of reward was the plaque on the wall. And I think that's really clever. They've gone for something that actually, in and of itself, is not necessarily, you know, as, as an actual, what is the worth of the item, particularly high. But it really plays quite cleverly on the kind of social factor of everyone else can see your plaque is on the wall. You know, if I think of principles around gamification, the, the kind of social influence and relatedness is such an important part of it, is the fact that that plaque is on the wall in display and everyone else can see that. All the other people that are going there regularly with you, they can see that you've made it onto the wall. It's the peacocking of it, as it were. The celebrity status. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nando's is my favourite restaurant and Nando's has this thing called the black card which they give to celebrities and it means they get to eat at Nando's for free. There is one way and one way only that a regular lay person such as myself can get a Nando's black card and that is by eating at every Nando's restaurant in the world, which pre-pandemic was over a thousand um, restaurants. I don't know what it's like these days. But I have eaten in Nando's in several countries, South Africa, the UK, Canada, all over the map. And I've considered do I just go for it? Do I just collect my receipts and go around and I get this black card? But the irony is I really want one, 
But if I were to do that and I were to actually be successful in getting one, I'd never want to eat at Nando's ever again. <laughs> but it's a similar thing where the prize is so appealing, even though it has no value to me in reality. <laughs> and the cost to you to fly to those countries, you might as well just buy a Nando's. <laughs> Head of Nando's, whoever you are, I don't know your job title, but we'll give you a space on this podcast maybe as a guest if you're willing to give Zuki uh, a black card. Yes, we're taking bribes, it's official. <laughs> right, well that's all our questions for you, Susanna. So I think it's time to have a bit of a tally up of our dings, Zuki. So I'm just going to count mine. I've got eight dings. How many have you got, Zuki? You know what? I have 11 dings. So that's 19 dings in total. Very big. There was some huge insight that came out of that. I am, I'm, I've got, I've got some learning to do after this. Level three, game my problem. So Susanna, really going to have to get your creative thinking cap on now, get fully involved in the podcast and immersed. So uh, this is where we read out an email in from one of our listeners and we have 60 seconds to each come up with a game to help solve that business problem and then we'll present them back and then our listeners will vote on them. Dear Ben and Zuki, love the show, although please can you make the intro shorter? The theme tune is kind of annoying. No. (laughs) Anyway, I'm having some trouble at work. And after listening to your podcast, I wonder if you can help. I run a fast growing fintech company and we've got a bit of a problem with our hiring process. Despite bringing on nearly 20 new people in the past 18 months, our success rate is only about 50%. We've struggled with finding the right people and have had to let go of almost as many people as we've kept. The main issue, we're not hiring people who are ambitious, driven and entrepreneurial enough to survive in a fast-growing company that faces such fierce competition. People talk the talk in an interview, but then struggle to walk the walk. I'm sure there's a way for us to use some of your game thinking to filter out the wheat from the chaff. Can you help us out? Thanks, guys. Abdul. Well, Susanna, this should this should play into your wheelhouse. This we're we're back on we're back in the interview world once again. I've I've got high hopes for your game. So just to summarise Abdul's problem here. He's hiring a lot of people. He's got a fast-growing company. He's doing the business thing well. But the people he's hiring are not ambitious enough, entrepreneurial. They've not got the right personal qualities. That's what we're trying to solve. That's what we're doing for Abdul. That's what we're going to solve right now. Right, I've got the timer ready. 60 seconds. And off we go. Right, that's your time up. No more note taking. I can hear your pages rustling. So I've come up with a game name that is is not good. This is really not. It's really not really appropriate to be honest. How, how have you done? You feeling confident, Susanna? <laughs> Define confident. <laughs> Think it'll be better than mine and Zuki's. That that our class is confidence. Right, my game is called Oh dear, Hire or Fire. <laughs> That's the name of the game. Anyway, this, this is big and actually it's probably quite dangerous. But what you're gonna do is the people that you're interviewing, because because you talked a lot about they need to be quite entrepreneurial, ambitious. So before the interview, you're going to bank transfer them some money. <laughs> you're going to transfer them. Like, not too much money. Like, maybe like £100. Something like that. Like 100 quid, let's say. Fast-growing fin- fintech, 100 quid is nothing to them. And you're going to transfer it to them like a week before the interview. So even worse for compliance right now. <laughs> and what they've got to do is, the game is, they've got to actually 
create a company with that 100 pounds, okay? They've got to create a company that's a competitor to their company in the fintech space. And then when they come in for their interview, they've got to present that company back and their business strategy and how they're gonna like outmaneuver this company that they're interviewing for, okay? Uh, and this is gonna be like recorded, like a pitch. And then everyone that's been interviewed, they're each also gonna watch each other's pitches afterwards. And then they're gonna vote on their favorite pitch. They, they can't vote for themselves, they have to vote on a different pitch. And then the pitch that gets the most votes, they're hired, the rest are fired. Ben, that was an absolute roller coaster. I, it, it started really bad, and then it got quite good, and then it went quite bad again. <laughs> it's, it's a foolproof strategy for hiring ambitious entrepreneurial people. Or they're just not gonna turn up the interview and take the 100 quid, but you know, it's the cost of doing business. Which to be fair, you know, if you had hired them, they would have cost you way more than 100 quid. Exactly, that's what you'll be telling compliance. And your investors. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'll go next. <laughs> Mine's really shocking, so Zuki can finish on a high. So I had something similar. Um, I went down the rhyming route as well, called Win Fin. Oh, I like it. Because <laughs> it was a fintech. So I had the interviewees, group interview technique, get all the interviewees to come up with three ideas for a business. You send them out to the, everybody else in the business, not amongst each other. So you send it out to everybody else in the business and everybody else votes for it. And then obviously whoever sort of wins that, you weight it down and obviously that becomes part of the scoring mechanism for when you are rating who's gonna win overall. So that is win fin. I like it, I like it. It's a bit more achievable, I think. Compliance, I don't think we'll have a problem with that one. <laughs> okay, so my game is called when a fintech company gives you lemons. <laughs> <laughs> Great, great, great names this 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 episode. Great names. So the way uh, when a fintech company gives you lemons works is that you're going to give your three, four, five candidates, five men you have, some lemons. Some of these you guys are setting up a business. You're going to give them the task of setting up a lemonade stand in the office. A bit like, you know, when kids used to do in America. Sorry, just to clarify, people that you haven't employed yet, you're going to ask them to set up in your office and sell lemonade. Not that I'm saying that my game was legal, but there's gotta be several legal issues with that. Is that unpaid labor for a start? Health and safety. <laughs> Guys, I didn't pick holes in your games, okay? <laughs> so they're gonna set up a lemonade store in the office. And the idea is that they need to demonstrate their entrepreneurialism and their ambition. And they're obviously their skills that they'd bring to the job in growing this lemonade store. So if they're in the marketing team or if they're applying for a marketing position, they might really want to go to town with like, you know, the sales technique and they might have like a buy two, get one free promotion or whatever on, on lemonade. If they're in accounting, they might like really manage their costs and make sure that their drinks per lemonade is really high. So you're testing out the skills there. But really, you want to see who's going to come out the other end with like the most loved lemonade store. So which person is most easy for people to get along with? Which lemonade store do people buy from the most? And then <laughs> the person will win and you'll hire them, not as an accountant, but to sell lemonade in the office. <laughs> Uh, and also, what I would suggest is the customers, they can say, if you buy 300 lemonades, you'll get your plaque on the stand. You'll get the plaque, yes. So there you go, those are the free games, Abdul. Uh, take your pick, and to you, listener, remember, we will be putting a poll up on either our LinkedIn page or our webpage, if we finally got the webpage done, and you'll be able to vote on your favorite of the free games. Well, Susanna, it has been a pleasure to have you on this episode of Let's Play Business, the podcast. Have you had a good time? I've had the best time. Thank you so much for having me on. Do you feel like you've learned 
if nothing else, three great hiring strategy games and, and hopefully a little bit more in the way of what games can teach you about business. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm off to buy a job lot of lemons for my next interview process. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Let's Play Business. As I say, if you've got a business problem you'd like us to help with, then please email in your dilemma to letsplaybusinesspodcast at gmail.com. That's letsplaybusinesspodcast at gmail.com. We will be following suit next month with a brand new episode, so make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And all our social media handles will be in the show notes below, as well as links to my company, Alternate Experiences, in case you want to take a peek at the gamification services we offer. But for now, I've been your host, Ben Fowler. And I've been your other host, Zuki. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you at the next episode. I've got another outro, guys. It's all fun and games until someone ends the podcast. Thanks for listening, kids. That's good, right?